Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, welcome to the Unseen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we bring you exclusive insights and stories from David and our team of writers. So coming up today, David tells us why Manchester United's transfer strategy will not be changing in reaction to that opening day defeat of their season. Charlie Eccleshare joins us to explain how Spurs brought Gareth Bale back and he'll also share what he knows about the future of Deli Alley. Raf Honigstein joins us to talk about his exclusive interview with Chelsea's Timo Werner and our Manchester City writer Sam Lee has details on a centre-back that Pep Guardiola is hoping to sign in the next few days. To read all the articles we discuss on today's podcast in full, simply head to www.theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman to sign up for just £1 a month. And subscribers to The Athletic can submit questions to David in the comments section of his weekly column. Just use the hashtag AskOrnstein and then he'll pick his favourites for his YouTube show. And make sure you subscribe to that on the TIFO podcast YouTube channel. David, let's start with the lead from your column this week that says Manchester United will not be signing uh, any more centre-backs despite a less than impressive start at the weekend. I'm assuming the reason for that is that they've got about 27 of them on their books already. Yeah, I don't know if you took the headline or slightly elaborated on that, but to clarify, um, it's that they're not prioritising a centre-half in their recruitment plans for this summer. I don't know if they'll end up signing one or not. You know, So many things change in the last couple of weeks of the window. We do know it's well documented that United have prioritised the right-sided attacking player in this window, with the first choice being Jadon Sancho. They've got some backup options if that doesn't come to fruition and then as the window has developed they have opened the possibility of signing a left back to Alex Tellez of FC Porto Brazil international 27 years old is the subject of some discussions no agreements have been reached but it's a situation that Manchester United are monitoring Many people have felt for a while now that centre-half has needed strengthening despite the arrival of Harry Maguire last summer and United have been offered a number of options but the messages that come back to the people offering those players is that this is not something we're looking at as a priority for this transfer window. Maybe they will in January, maybe they will next summer but right now if you look at their options, Phil Jones out injured until I think around November time so that, that's not going to work for this transfer window. Chris Smalling, of course, was on loan at Roma last season. They want to sign him on a permanent basis, but they're offering in the region so far of £12 million. United want uh, above £18 towards £20 million. So unless a club meets that valuation, he'll 
be staying and oh, yeah, I guess technically he could go on another loan but there's a chance that they would reintegrate him Marcus Rojo Manchester United have not managed to sell him I think he's got a year left on his contract Axel Twanzebi is at the club too and they really like Ted and Mengi the 18 year old who's come into the first team squad and that's another option for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now everyone's going to be listening to this saying it's not about numbers it's about quality if they were to spend the required amount to bring in an upgrade on what they already have would they then have the money to pursue that right-sided attacking player that they want and a left back I think they really really want to and Zabi to stay fit and if two and Zabi yeah. can stay fit I think they really they really rate him and I think Mengi is also highly rated at, at the club I spoke to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, a week ago maybe maybe yeah. a little bit longer than that and we, we specifically spoke about Mengi and it, it's a, it's an age thing it's how much mm-hmm. for him how much you trust a 18 year old as a centre half and not many managers around the world in top flight football really put a, a teenager in as a as a regular starting centre half. That's absolutely true. You only need to look down at Arsenal where William Saliba was signed last summer, sent out on loan to St Etienne. Have you got Arsenal into this? I know, that's have a bit of a cro- <laughs> it's a crowbar, but it's a relevant crowbar because um you know there was a, an expectation among many fans and and people in the media that Saliba would come in for Arsenal this summer and and be the starting centre half, but He's still a teenager. He's still got development to to do physically, um, tactically, positionally, technically. And there's huge optimism around him. But he's now down the pecking order a little bit while he develops, played for the under-23s. Um, you could see there was a bit of rawness uh, around there. And he's going to have to be worked on in training with the senior players like David Luiz and Gabriel, Rob Holding, etc. And it's a very similar situation for Mengi, these players have huge futures ahead of them, but can you risk them immediately in the Premier League? Unless you're absolutely convinced, you know, that it's a high risk area of the pitch where mistakes are going to be made and criticism is going to come. So you can understand why you would go with the Lindelof and, and of course, Harry Maguire. But at the moment, you know, United are open to criticism and um, it'd be interesting to see if that policy does change on the centre-halves. But with those options available and the need to shift some of them, really, to free up space, in a way, I can understand why it's not top of their priority list. On their transfers in general, and we'll talk to Rafa Honestan about Jadon Sancho a little bit later on, on this pod. But there will be a lot of United fans listening to us thinking, why can United not, with the exception of Van der Beek, get deals done? They they will look at, obviously, Chelsea are the, are the obvious example, but they might even look at Tottenham in the last week who very quickly get Bale, who we'll talk about in a moment, and Reguillon done. They will look at Liverpool, who within 48 hours get Thiago and Diogo Jota done and go, you know they are they are efficient. They get their players. They target their players. They get their players. What what on earth are United at the at boardroom level doing? Well, I don't think it's fair of me to sort of speculate when I'm not privy to what's going on inside, and and none of us are really. We can only see what we've seen on the surface, and United have backed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the transfer market that you know their net spend is higher than most of the top European clubs that sort of info you you can check it out on transfer market etc though we never really know the the true fees United they would point out like many clubs but perhaps more so 
are losing a hell of a lot of money during this pandemic and and with the the stadium being empty so that those are considerations without wanting to get away from your actual point they've made some pretty good signings many feel that they haven't still addressed key areas the the sancho one let's see at the end of the window if they manage to get that one over the line it's at an impasse at the moment there's been a lot of focus on ed woodward matt judge solskjaer the need for a director of football of sorts we've had so many of these conversations Mm. certainly they don't look as sort of ruthless and efficient as Liverpool and Michael Edwards for example I'm not sure many clubs are you mentioned Chelsea yeah they've recruited on paper very impressively this summer but we don't know how well their signings are going to bed in they've still got got to do a lot of business in the other direction it's a really fine balancing act we kind of expect Manchester United because of who they are to be the best recruiters in the world and I do speak to a lot of people in the game who say it's you know it's not good enough the the things that are going on there in the scouting and the recruitment department but again unless we're privy to that we we don't know clearly there are areas that still need to be worked on it is a work in progress it's going to be a huge test for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now he seems to have been somewhat immune to a lot of the criticism most of it's been directed at Woodward the players but I was speaking to somebody just before recording this who said Manchester United have a brilliant squad, good combination of young players, experienced players, resources at their disposal, facilities. The, cl- the club is there with untapped potential. And um, and I think a lot of people would, would like to get their teeth into that club and, and think that other managers could do better that technical directors should come in and 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 transform that and, and maybe it's it's not just down to their recruitment. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. Let's move it on to Deli Ali then, who has given no explanation for his non-selection in the Tottenham squad to face Southampton on Sunday. That's what Charlie Eccleshare has written in David's column. Charlie is with us now. It doesn't look good for Delhi, does it? No, I mean, two games running now, not even on the subs bench for a player that previously was pretty much untouchable. I mean, he's had injuries, obviously, but... When he was fit, he played. So to not even be on the bench, totally out the squad, it's not looking good, as you say. But just on his no explanation, one of the things you do make clear in the column is that it's not as if the other players who weren't picked all got an explanation and Deli Ali didn't. It, the group were given no explanation why they weren't travelling. Sure, yeah. And I mean, this is pretty typical of Jose, from what I understand, that you know he likes to get across messages like these largely through the media. And, and as you say, yeah, the other players weren't given an explanation either. I, I think I would just say, though, that clearly someone like Deli Ali, you know, that non-selection caused more surprise and is you know clearly a bigger deal than someone like Juan Foyth not being selected who you know really hasn't been very much over the last few weeks or even at the back end of last season so I think that was what you know in my mind made that noteworthy and you know especially given the context that you know there's been 
lots of talk about will he be moving, won't he be moving, does he have a future? Charlie, if Jose doesn't want Dele Alli at the club, but Daniel Levy does what gives ultimately <laughs> well yeah I mean that, that's uh, something I've wondered on a lot of issues at, at Spurs but I mean Daniel has the final say that's understood so if he if he really really wants to keep Deli Alley at the club then Deli Alley will stay at the club I mean we saw with, with Gareth Bale that we'll come on to that was very much Daniel's deal yes Jose Mourinho was was okay he was happy with it when when he was told about it but Daniel was driving that and so if he really wants to keep Deli Alley, I think Deli Alley will stay but you know, at, at the moment, it feels as though Mourinho would be happy for him uh, to move on. And there is a sense as well that Gareth Bale's arrival, Delhi will be one of, if not the biggest loser from that, because I think that will reduce his game time even further. So what would his preference be as a player and how much weight would that carry? His bottom line is he wants to be somewhere where he's loved, where he's appreciated. And it's just unclear at the moment if, if that is going to be... If that is going to be at Tottenham, um, certainly, you know, if he has a manager there who really, who really rates him and wants him in the team. I mean, how much it will carry? Ultimately, we know how Daniel Levy operates, and he will do what's best for the club. You know, there may be a degree to which this is a guy who they have had a good relationship with. He's been there for five years now, and they've kind of grown together. So yeah, maybe there would be a bit more leeway. But ultimately, a deal would only be signed off if it was if it was good for the club. And there's the Euros too, of course, which is a yeah. huge factor for him. Yeah. This is down to Mourinho not fancying Deli Ali. Having had a look at him last year and people will will look at uh, Amazon documentaries as well to to view their relationship or is it simply the way that Tottenham are going to play formation-wise and indeed did play uh, against Southampton means that there isn't actually a role for Deli Ali within that formation. I think that's a part of it, yeah. But I mean, if this was someone he really wanted in the squad and in the group, you kind of find a way of, of adapting to incorporate him to some degree. But, but I think you, what you touch on there is really important because Deli Ali already feels like a bit of an anachronism. You know, he, he is this, yeah. he, he plays as this number 10. You know, that's his best role, kind of playing off the striker. But very few teams really can accommodate that kind of player. I mean, most teams, you look at, I, I think of teams like Liverpool, you know, they have these white, these flexible forwards who can play anywhere across the front three. And I think that's what Delhi needs to do. He needs to become that kind of player because otherwise you look around and clearly he's really talented. But where, which Premier League team can you really imagine him in? Like, I don't feel like many play with, with mm. that sort of player anymore. The other interesting thing on this relationship, David, and you asked who would win out between... Levy and Mourinho, if, if Daniel Levy wanted to keep Deli Alley, is that you know fans of Chelsea and Manchester United will will probably have seen this before with Jose Mourinho. I mean, if you take him at United, or by all accounts, he wanted Martial out, but the board and Woodward wanted Martial to stay. Yeah, this is going to be a fascinating dynamic, and I, I've heard Charlie on the View from the Lane podcast and the guys talking about this at length. I think we spoke about it on here as well. There's going to be huge focus on Mourinho this season, as there is every season. And that dynamic with Daniel Levy in the transfer market, in team selection, in in overall management of the club. Previous clubs, it, it's ended in tears for Mourinho in, in recent times. Um, and that will be the big question at Tottenham. In terms of recruitment, you know, I said that I'm not sure that Matt Doherty was Daniel Levy's sort of first choice for that right back position I think traditionally he would have maybe gone for someone a bit younger 
who the club can develop and and extract potentially very high resale value for. But it was a deal that Jose Mourinho wanted to do and, and Daniel backed him in that case. We don't know the sort of key people behind the, the other deals. So looking at Hoybier, looks like it was a Jose Mourinho one. Regalon, probably a Jose Mourinho one. Bale, perhaps more a Daniel Levy one. And I mean, be fascinated to know Charlie's view on this, but feels like Daniel Levy has got to move more carefully than ever before with his manager on this occasion to avoid the relationship going down similar routes to what Mark points out has been seen in recent years at Man United and Chelsea. Yeah, it's a really delicate one, as you say. And I think it's interesting when you look at the comparison with Pochettino and there's a feeling that maybe... You know, Levy has been more malleable with Mourinho than he was, uh, given that Pochettino often didn't get, you know, really the investment he wanted in the transfer market. And that was just how it was. So it will be really interesting to play out. I mean, the way I've seen it from the start with Mourinho and, and Daniel Levy, it feels a little bit like one of those relationships where you get into it and there's this, there are these things that aren't really spoken about at the beginning and you put them on the back burner and you hope that maybe you'll never come to it. But, but inevitably they will, you know, these things will play out and, and transfers, I think, is one of is one of those big things. You know, how much do we want to invest? How much is it about the short term compared to the long term? As you say, I think that's a really interesting point on Matt Doherty, because, you know, the job of a head coach is I want to win the next game, whereas the job of the chairman or the director of football or whatever is, you know, is, is the bigger picture. So. You know, how much are you thinking about the short term? And, yeah, with someone like Deli Ali, there's a lot there as well because he is such a link with the past. Um, and there's a feeling, you know, getting that evolution-revolution balance is is so key. You know, we've seen that, that Tottenham took too long to, uh, to kind of revamp uh, that Pochettino team. But then is it a question of doing too much? So... Yeah, it, it, that dynamic is going to kind of define their season, I think. And doesn't that make the next two weeks so fascinating? Because... As I understand it, Spurs won a couple more signings, a backup striker. We know they were keen on Ollie Watkins before he went to Aston Villa. They've been linked with numerous names since. And then also perhaps a centre-half too mm. to bolster in that area, followed by or before in between uh, departures for a significant number of players to ease the sort of issues that Jose Mourinho has been talking about on the big squad. You know, we're looking at the likes of Foyth, Sessegnon, um, and so on. So Danny Rose, the the move to Genoa that was being talked about, sounds like they've backed off, they've called their interest. He's not even got a squad number, so that's that's going to occupy some attention for, for all parties to make sure he gets a move. move. Otherwise, he'll, he'll be staying until January at least. That dynamic between owner and manager, we're really going to learn a lot by the looks of it in the next two to three weeks. Yeah, and I mean, that is going to play out around a lot of clubs isn't it there is all this uncertainty yeah. but Tottenham does feel like one where you're right it is it, there's also this really weird situation because Spurs have to have a bloated squad for the next couple of weeks because they could potentially be playing two weeks of Tuesday Thursday Sunday so they kind of need to have that but then there's going to be this mad rush of okay well we've only got a few <laughs> more days and obviously that's not ideal for anyone but it, it is a bit of an awkward situation. I mean, Jose Mourinho spoke about the fact that his squad's too big. And obviously this was portrayed as, oh, Mourinho's never satisfied. But I think there may have been a, sl a slightly valid point in there in the sense that it does need to be bloated for the moment. But it's not really sustainable having so many players knocking around on the wage bill. And speaking of the wage bill, what is the deal with Bale when it comes to wages? And, and actually at the end of the, the, the year long loan, what happens then? 
Yeah, so we understand, and David, you have you may have different figures, but that it's a Spurs are paying around forty percent of uh, of Bale's pretty hefty circa six hundred k a week wages. There have been lots of kind of figures knocking around, but that's that's it seems to be around that mark. And we've been told as well that Real Madrid originally wanted about seventy five percent. Daniel Levy was starting at around twenty five percent, and they've met you know in a way that's very favourable uh, to Tottenham and. Another way that's favourable, there's no obligation to buy at the end of it. Um, you know, often that's something that's written into these deals. That's not the case. So Tottenham can be flexible on that. But you'd imagine if it does go well, they would want him for the other year. And, and also by next summer, Bale's into the last year of his contract. So he and Tottenham would largely hold the power there. And, you know, you, you kind of imagine it, it's it's done for him at Real Madrid. It's really hard for him to imagine going back there. So I think the hope is if it goes well, then... Um, then it can be extended and he can spend more than just a year at Tottenham. Slight issue is that he's got uh, an injury of sorts at the moment, although I don't think it's quite as long as some people were suggesting. I think that might have been quite an economical, clever uh, way of making sure he doesn't feature for Wales in the next international break. I think it, mm. it's an injury that will keep him out for a couple of weeks and then then we should see him back on the pitch. And just from a Real Madrid point of view, David, they were quite cooperative here, yes? Yeah, so when Gareth Bale was on course for a move to China a year ago or just over a year ago, summer of 2019, it all looked on course until the very end. Uh, it got quite ugly because Real Madrid were led to believe that James Rodriguez was going to be leaving for a fee, which wasn't actually true. I don't know if it was the work of intermediaries stirring the pot and once Florentino Perez <laughs> there's a surprise <laughs> intermediaries in football stirring Never. the pot who'd have thought I know shock horror and um, uh, when Florentino Perez got wind of that he suddenly wanted a fee for Gareth Bale now the Chinese club that were uh, on the verge of signing him were proposing no transfer fee they were just going to take on all of his salary and give him a hell of a lot more so it collapsed at the last moment and and there was some lingering bitterness and I, I think Gareth Bale uh, was very unhappy with Real Madrid's conduct there and their general treatment of him over the last couple of years since and you could even say before the Champions League final in Kiev when he scored that spectacular overhead kick then Recently, I think he probably resolved that he has made his point. He wants to get back playing football now, especially ahead of the Euros. And I don't think Real Madrid got in the way of that this time in any way, shape or form. I think they played ball. I think Daniel Levy had some pretty smooth negotiations with the Real Madrid hierarchy throughout. I then think the relationship between uh, Jonathan Barnett, Gareth Bale's agent, and Daniel Levy helped because they've got a friendship of sorts. And it just seems that this was actually a situation that suited all parties. I didn't hear of any stumbling blocks. Uh, we reported in a big piece that you should go and read on The Athletic, Charlie and I, that when reports were emerging that Bale was undergoing his medical in Spain, he was actually getting in a, a final round of golf. Um, he then had some medical checks, headed over and, and a house rental property had already been lined up for him with golf facilities of sorts as well. So he should be happy here. His family are coming over with him. They've had a great time in Spain. Madrid has taken a high place in the heart of his wife and children who now speak Spanish. But look, it, it was it was going poorly from a professional point of view. And Gareth Bale decided it was time. Real Madrid were happy with that. And I, I don't see him playing for Real Madrid again personally. And the situation at Real Madrid has been well documented. We've not seen them 
sign, certainly not on the level that we were used to in the Galactico era. Players, especially not for high value, for quite some time now. They needed to move players out. They needed to get wages off the books. We saw James Rodriguez uh, leaving for Everton. Suggestions that that's a free transfer or at least a very low fee just because they wanted to clear his salary away. Regalon and Bale going pretty much in one go. It seemed at one point they might be going both of them to Manchester United, but they ended up coming to Spurs. And yeah, it'd be really interesting to see where Real Madrid go from this, if they can now have the capacity to invest. So I think watch this space on Real Madrid. It's a fascinating situation there. Thanks very much for coming on, Charlie. Talk soon. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Charlie. Now, there was an impressive cameo from Thiago Alcantara as he made his Premier League debut at Stamford Bridge yesterday. He arrived at Liverpool from Bayern Munich, of course. So let's get a German perspective on how that deal happened with the Athletics' Raphael Honigstein. And <laughs> you've contributed to the piece on the Athletic that says the upfront fee for this deal is just five million quid, which, which sounds utterly ridiculous. It does, although the way it's been explained to me by uh, people close to the club was that um, it doesn't really matter in terms of the profit and loss accounts for this uh, business year. It is still a 30 million euro or whatever the figure will be at the end sale and the fact that only five million pounds of that will be paid up front doesn't really affect Bayern's accounts. Of course cash flow is an issue but not to the point that um, that, that Bayern really cares. So yes it sounds like an even better deal for Liverpool but the way it was explained to me is that it doesn't really hurt Bayern's bottom line. And Raf, the sale wasn't essential to Bayern Munich as far as I know. It seemed like it was It was obviously a player who would have been of huge value to them for the final year of his contract if he had stayed. And so it was just about striking the right deal that was satisfactory for all parties or is is that being a bit inaccurate? No, I think that's fair. I mean, they needed to reach a compromise because uh, Thiago was very, very keen to move and made that made his feelings known. Yeah. And Bayern, I think, almost felt as if they had to let him go at this point. They could have kept him. They could have just hoped for the best, could have lost him for free. But um, 25, 30 million, whatever the final figure will be, is still um, a sizable number that they can use to offset some of the losses that they, you know, they will have this season because of coronavirus and also will allow them to have at least some more investment because they're still very much in the market for a right back and possibly another winger as well. So in the end, it was kind of a a foregone conclusion that it had to work out this way. Given the, the quality of player and the relatively... The low, I mean, it's still a ridiculous amount of money, but the relatively low fee in, in in the market. Were other Premier League clubs interested or did Thiago always make it clear that he wanted to go to Liverpool? I think there was some uh, cursory interest. I think there might have been one or two uh, preliminary talks or people just inquiring what the situation is. All the reports and all the things I was told as well have been pretty consistent that he had his mind made up that uh, he was going to go to Liverpool. I've also been told by someone close to Liverpool that they were always very, very confident that Thiago had decided to to go for them. And it was just a case of striking a deal uh, between Bayern and, and Liverpool. So there might have been uh, a few flirts, a few people sniffing around, but it looked like Liverpool was always going to be the most likely outcome. My background on that point was that 
in the past there has been plenty of interest from the likes of Man United that was well documented also Arsenal and Chelsea at various points this time round as Raf says I think it was really only Liverpool in the f- frame I think there was some lobbying from uh, David De Gea on international duty for, for Thiago to come to Manchester United I think there may even have been a conversation with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at some point but I don't think Manchester United spoke to Bayern Munich about it and I don't think it was a concerted pursuit it's not actually a position that Man United have been looking to fill this summer and so once Liverpool missed out on Timo Werner to Chelsea uh, so June time that's when this started to gather pace and I think it was very clear from Thiago that he wanted to join Liverpool and work under Jurgen Klopp despite in the past he and his wife would have been very keen to come to London so when it initially came up a few people I spoke to around him were a little bit surprised that he would be moving to Liverpool but the idea of playing for them and working with Jurgen Klopp was appealing it was something that Jurgen Klopp was absolutely up for doing and um, and it was just about striking the right deal in the end. I think at this level of player, the fee is almost secondary in terms of yeah. importance. It's really the wages that you're putting onto your, onto your wage bill, especially on a four-year deal for a player who has kind of zero resale value. The figures are a little bit contradictory, but you're still looking all in fees plus wages at about 100 million euros. And uh, that restricts the uh, chances and and the possibilities of of most clubs to make that kind of deal. Yeah, I heard from some other Premier League clubs who had been quoted similar figures and it was something that they wouldn't have been able to do. Liverpool, we know in recent years, have been pretty high wage payers and, and clearly... Despite the financial situation that they've been in and it's been well documented, they nearly uh, or they did furlough staff before reversing that decision. And the message coming out of Anfield was that they wouldn't be making big money investments this summer. They have done. We haven't even mentioned Diogo Jota. We don't know if business is finished, but equally, I think before we make any definitive judgments on spending at clubs like Liverpool and others this summer we need to see what happens in the rest of the window there's been a lot of discussion over the last few days about how these Premier League clubs are affording this sort of outlay when they've been pleading poverty amid the crisis for so many months but I'm not sure it will look quite that way by the end of the window with all of them pretty much keen in some way shape or form to balance their books David mentioned Timo Werner there Raf you've got an exclusive interview with him on The Athletic so why didn't a move to Liverpool happen from his point of view? Because before the transfer window opened, that was the rumour, wasn't it? That was the hot hot favourite, the hot destination was that he would go to Anfield. Well, the way he told me in in the talk that I had with him last week was that Liverpool were hugely attractive to him, but ultimately Chelsea just ticked more boxes and I don't think he meant it in a financial way. Um, He also uh, talked to colleagues of ours uh, in Built in an interview on Sunday and said that the promise of regular game time at Chelsea uh, swayed his mind as well on top of everything else. So I think this was not a decision against Liverpool. I think him and Klopp uh, would have loved to work together. Um, You could see their embrace after the final whistle at Stamford Bridge. You could see you might remember the amount of times that Van actually went on the record saying Liverpool is his uh, one of his uh, preferred destinations. But uh, ultimately, Chelsea just seemed to be the better fit for him. And one other story then, uh, Raf, with the Bundesliga back and Borussia Dortmund starting well, how do you think that affects 
the future of Jaden Sancho, who I have a feeling is still going to dominate this transfer window right up until the moment it closes. I'm not sure he will dominate the transfer window. I mean, certainly in Germany, there is almost nothing about this story. Uh, People just seem to be taking Dortmund's insistence that no transfer will happen at face value. They've set this public deadline on the 10th of August. United haven't even come close to putting in a a bid that that, uh, meets anywhere near the 120 million euro valuation that Dortmund have always put on him. And many, many Dortmund players have come out to say how much they enjoy the fact that he's with them next season. So that is not to say that things can still develop. Um, United might just find some money somewhere or Ed Woodward will win the euro millions um, (laughs) and put a huge bid in. But it doesn't seem to be anticipated by anyone in Dortmund. So I, I think... At the moment, as things stand, most indications uh, are that uh, he will indeed stay. And the fact that they started well, I don't think has has any impact one way or the other. But what it does do is show just how exciting this Dortmund team are now with Sancho, Haaland, Giorena and the new addition of Jude Bellingham just behind them. Uh, they were really outstanding uh, at least in some spells, and their 3-0 win against Borussia Mönchengladbach on Saturday. Yeah, I was reading your interview with Ralph Ranjek on The Athletic, Raf, and he singled out Jude Bellingham as being a star. I mean, just watching him so far, he seems to be playing way above his years in terms of his technical game, but also his his maturity, his vision, his positional awareness, his physique as well. I don't think it's going to be an unhappy place for Jadon Sancho to play his football, if indeed that move doesn't materialise. I was speaking to somebody around the England camp who said it's perfect for them at the moment. You know, Gareth Southgate uh, watches the two of them on video clips at, at the same time. They're forming a great partnership, developing at a great club. So it's it's really interesting to see um, that sort of relationship sort of blossoming. To add to that, um, first on Bellingham, I think Dortmund are themselves actually really surprised how quickly he's taken to, to this team. The plan was to ease him in but he's been so good in pre-season and in the cup that he found himself playing against one of the most difficult games that they will face uh, this half of the season against Borussia Mönchengladbach in the starting eleven, And he's done absolutely nothing to, to be out of that team uh, in coming weeks. Uh, one more word on Sancho. I think it was noticeable. It's part of the story that we've had absolutely no indication coming out of Dortmund that his attitude has somehow changed or that he is forcing a move when they've been faced with similar situations in the past with players who really wanted to force through big deals with Bamiyang or Dembele, uh, Lewandowski you can count as well. There was always a lot of unhappiness, disquiet, nervousness behind the scenes. None of these things have happened with Sancho, which is another reason why I think everyone in Dortmund feels that he will actually stay. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having This show is brought to you by Hims. If you haven't heard of them, they're basically your best mate when it comes to those tricky men's health problems. Now, balding is an awkward topic for men, yet a lot of us start to lose our hair before we hit 40. And the best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. Hims was created to make it easier for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing their doctor in person for awkward health issues. Not everyone wants to have personal conversations face-to-face with a stranger in a white coat. So, Hims connects you to real doctors online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential 
and discreet. You'll get a proper consultation and they'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. It couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.co.uk slash athletic. So that's F-O-R-H-I-M-S, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot co.uk slash athletic. So as we've mentioned a few times on the pod, the transfer window is open for a few more weeks. The athletic team will keep you informed of all the significant developments they hear. And our Manchester City writer Sam Lee joins us now as City close in on a new centre-back. Manchester United have got at least 10 of them, Sam. Do you think City might target any of them? Uh, yeah, there might be at least 10, but I think the problem is there's not too many. They're that good. I mean, obviously, they did want Maguire, and that kind of leads on to the situation they're in now, where they're, they're making sure they get a centre-back, even if it's not necessarily their first choice. And yeah, that's the situation they're in right now. And it would only be fair to point out that Manchester City themselves have a fair few centre-backs. Well, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Nicholas Otamendi, they're still in a situation with the season starting on Monday night having tried to sign Nicolas Otamendi last summer, but couldn't get a club to afford his wages, they're still in that situation now. And they would have known all summer they were going to sell him. So that's a bit of a a mess, really, which we might go into later on. And John Stones is still there, but Guardiola played Eric Garcia ahead of him in that Leon game that they lost. And, you know, Garcia is 19 and already said he wanted to leave for Barca, but still got picked ahead of Stones. They signed Nathan Ake, which is good business. And now they're looking for, I'm I'm just going to say it English way, Jules Koundé. I've not heard anybody else (laughs) offer a better pronunciation yet. So I'm going with Jules Koundé at Sevilla. And he, he, he is the one currently that they're focusing their their efforts on. Yeah, that's really interesting, Sam, because all summer, pretty much the only name we've heard is Kaladu Koulibaly, and we've spoken mm-hmm. about it before. We know the difficulties around Man City dealing with uh, Napoli because of the the backdrop of Jorginho, the distrust between, I think it's Chiki Bagiristain and De Laurentiis, the Napoli president. Uh, so they had to go through Koulibaly's representative, Fali yeah. Ramadani. It's not been a smooth process. I was told a few weeks ago that it's pretty much off now. This signing, if it happens, would make it look like it is. I don't know how advanced this signing is, so I'd be keen to have your view on that. And also, I was told that possibly the other severe centre-back was initially catching the eye of, of City before they moved over to this guy. So can you sort of wrap that wrap that up the little intro there about the athletic journalist keeping you in the loop I mean I'm just trying to catch back up in the loop because I've been off for two weeks so I've been able to get a bit of information over the weekend is this this your caveat Sam in case this all this all doesn't pan out the way you tell us God no no I'm I'm, I'm happy with this I'm happy (laughs) if you ask me anything else I might not have the answer but I'm happy with this so basically Hmm. So Koulibaly, I mean, City are disputing this officially. They're, they're kind of disputing the idea that he was the main target. I mean, I'm happy okay. enough to say that he is the main target. And I'm happy enough that they had enough serious interest in him and, and attempts to get him over the summer to stick with that. What I heard over the weekend was a couple of weeks ago, whether it was a take it or leave it off or, or an ultimatum or basically just a, like, a well, if you don't agree to this kind of figure, then we're going to leave it. And they couldn't mm. get anywhere with that. So they left it. Jimenez at Atletico Madrid is somebody I mentioned earlier in the summer that they made an inquiry about, but I was told they were put off by his release clause, which Atletico would insist on. That's 120 million euros. And now I think, piecing everything together this morning and over the weekend, he 
and they had a, they asked again potentially about him around this time of the ultimatum with Kula Bali. I think they were told again he's going to be too expensive. Now they're at, yeah they're at this stage with Kunde, and like you say, Kula Bali seems off. That's how it looks to me. I mean, look, I wouldn't rule out if they don't get Kunde, if they don't get Jimenez, maybe they'll go back and and pay up because. As I mentioned about Maguire, you know, they are desperate now a year on to get somebody in. And I know they've got Aki already, but, you know, that was kind of a separate. This this player now is the kind of company replacement, I suppose. And they've got down to Koundé. Sevilla have got the Super Cup against Bayern on Friday, I think. Their focus is very much on that. But City, from what I hear, they think they can get this wrapped up this week and look even as a journalist you hate putting the deadlines on it because you then get held to that deadline that's not your own but I'm gonna it's the information I've got I'm gonna go with it they they do think they will be able to to get something sorted out and Monchi the severe sporting director did confirm that a club which we obviously presume now to be City made an offer over the weekend that they rejected um but I don't don't think that you know that's changed City stance and you know at the moment I, I suppose the best way to put it is the eggs are in the the Koundé basket those centre-halves you mentioned, John Stones, Eric Garcia, Otamendi, City struggling to shift them, like many clubs have been struggling to shift players. Are they overpricing them at the moment? Because I was, I was told weeks ago that Otamendi was on his way out, most likely to Italy, but various other options too. Or are they just waiting to make sure they've got the players they want in before releasing, I don't like the word, Deadwood in the final couple of weeks of the window? Well, the thing is with City, it's normally the other way around. It's normally they want to get rid of the players they want to get rid of, so they know exactly how much money they've got in the accounts and how much you know how they can then go and spend that, um, and how can they can amortise that and all this kind of stuff and what they've got for wages and space in the squad. And that was the problem with Otamendi last summer. Once they wanted Maguire partly because he was English, because their foreign quota was full, and then when Maguire didn't come, the foreign quota was full. They wanted to sell Otamendi, and Otamendi had told them initially in like. March time, I, can't, I think it was, that he'd wanted to go, but they couldn't find that buyer. Normally with City, it's the other way around. Normally they want to get players out, but I think this summer they've kind of, I think, I suppose neutrals will scoff at this, but they've they've kind of, they've been a bit more free with their spending. There is money there to spend, whereas in the past they've been a bit tighter with the budget. That money is there to spend, so I don't think they are waiting for those players. I just think, and the City don't generally sell too well. They don't get mm. a lot of money mm. for the players they're selling. Obviously, Sane was a bit of a... Um, a one-off, I suppose, because his contract was running down and, and the COVID situation. But they don't tend to get too much money. And it's difficult now to, you know, for any of the clubs that would want John Stones, for example, I'm not sure how many of those would maybe pay what City are wanting. And, and maybe, I, I don't know, maybe afford his wages and maybe if Stones would would want to go there. Zinchenko, for example, he, he may well be staying. He's another who I hear they've priced so high that I can't see clubs getting to that valuation a higher price now than they had agreed with Wolves a couple of years ago really well I suppose but to be honest that that, hmm. on the one hand it makes sense because he's done a lot more in the first team and he's proven himself a lot more as a player since then but on the other hand nobody's got that kind of money or few clubs have got that kind of money now so it's a difficult one and it leaves them in the situation where are they going to keep these guys around because if, look, they, they clearly want to get this extra centre-back in, and let's presume they do, whether it's Koundé or they end up having to go for somebody else. What are they going to do with with Stones? And I mean, who who would be ahead in the pecking order anyway, hypothetically? Would it be Stones or Otamendi? And you're keeping these guys around. I'm not sure what works. I, I, I think 
in the final weeks of the transfer window. I've not been able to nail down fully what they're doing, but all I've been told is this catch-all phrase that Cheeky Bagheerstein is going to be very busy. So I would imagine that involves a lot of sales because those those players we mentioned, there's a good chance they will have to go because they, they have to go. They, they don't face too many, too many playing opportunities next season. Although there's only a few months until January when they could try again. Yeah, although like from their from the players' point of view, it's it's not an ideal next few months, I suppose. And also from the clubs, again, it's just in terms of having that certainty, I suppose, of knowing the options on the table. And look, in, in January, maybe it's different this year because of COVID and how the seasons go in and all this kind of stuff. But January is never really a good market anyway. So. No. I think it's admirable that they're looking for Koundé and they're not just going to sit on their hands, really, because when Maguire didn't come last year and Jorginho didn't come the year before that, they they, they couldn't get a, a replacement in. So at least they have moved mm. to do that. But it goes to show, with Koulibaly, the, you know, they wanted the big presence, they wanted the experience, they wanted somebody, you know, that other City players in the dressing room and players around the Premier League would go, wow, you know, they've signed this guy to send a message as well. But, you know, Koundé... He's a very good player by all accounts, but he's not that household name or he's not that kind of reputation. And he's he's about six foot tall, maybe a, a shade shorter, and he's 21. So it goes to show how desperate yeah. City are to get these guys in. They've gone completely away from the profile that they wanted initially. Obviously, he's still a good player, but it just goes to show how far they are willing to go to get somebody in this summer. By the time Sam does the next Manchester City podcast while with us, you'll be back up to speed from your holiday, yes? <laughs> Well, I hope so. And no, also, we'll have, we'll have got the Wolves game. So, and you'll have, and you'll have all the fallout from City's visit to Wolves as well. We'll talk mm. soon. Cheers, thanks Sam. very much. <laughs> right, that's it. Uh, busy pod this week. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye bye. <laughs>